can read the scripture this morning from the message so it might look different than what's on the screen. Luke 19, 28 through 38 from the message, it says this, After saying these things, Jesus headed straight up to Jerusalem. When he got near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olives, he sent off two of the disciples with instructions. Go to the village across from you. As soon as you enter, you'll find a colt tethered, one that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says anything, asks, what are you doing? Say, His master needs him. The two left and found it, just as he said, and they were untying the colt. As they were untying the colt, its owner said, What are you doing untying this colt? They said, His master needs him. They brought the colt to Jesus, then throwing their coats on its back, back, they helped Jesus get on. As he rode, the people gave him a grand welcome, throwing their coats on the street. Right at the crest where Mount Olives begins its descent, the whole crowd of disciples burst into enthusiastic praise over all the mighty works they had witnessed. Blessed is he who comes, the king in in God's name. All's well in heaven. Glory in the high places. Young people, quietly. I need to uh, apologize Last week I lied to you. I said I, I wasn't going to, I started preaching at like 11.20 and I said I wasn't going to preach the whole time and I did. So I'm sorry about that. I started looking at my, my watch or my phone and I said, wow, I really did preach that long. So I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we get to these Sundays and um, just like Christmas, we we sometimes think, you know, what else can we say that hasn't already been said? But I think when we, when we think in those terms, we're really missing the truth is, it, whatever we say, as long as it's bringing honor and glory to God, as long as we're mindful uh, of what this week represents, then, then we're on the right track. Uh, it's another Palm Sunday. So we do what many other churches do. We fill our chapel with palm branches. We pass them out. In fact, um, Justin was telling me, uh, coming from a Catholic background, and I have heard this before, many of the Catholic churches on Palm Sunday, once the palm branches have been laid down, they actually will take them, and, and as they begin to age, they will burn them and use them uh, for the next year's Ash Wednesday. It's very, very symbolic that they, that they do that. But in fact, not only here, but all around the world on this Palm Sunday, the church, as we should, is celebrating by waving palms and announcing Holy Week activities. But honestly, what is the big deal? Isn't the big Sunday next Sunday? Isn't it spiritually the Super Bowl of all Sundays? Isn't Palm Sunday just the sort of a pregame or pre-party to the real festivities of Holy Week? No. We often think that the big stuff happens on Good Friday and Easter. That's when we really get into what this week means. I, don't, I didn't see anyone come in this morning with their fancy dresses just for Palm Sunday. 
Yet Palm Sunday is of more significance to the Christian believer than many of us realize. When you want to talk about prophecy fulfilled, Palm Sunday and and the week of this, this Holy Week and all throughout his life, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. That's not 300 people all fulfilling one prophecy each. That's one person fulfilling over 300 prophecies. You know, they say the mathematical you know, equation of someone being able to do that is really impossible. I read that it was one with like 100 zero, zeros behind it. In other words, it is important for us to look at Palm Sunday and realize the Jesus that was walking or, or riding in Jerusalem was indeed and is indeed the Son of God. So it marks the focus and the fulfillment of the most significant event of our faith. Palm Sunday refers to Jesus' triumphal entry. Now, I know some of this that I'm going to say is is old news to some of you, but maybe there are a few that just don't know this. Uh, But Palm Sunday refers to the triumphal entry. It is when Jesus enters Jerusalem for the Passover. Jerusalem today would have been packed with crowds, uh, pilgrims preparing to celebrate the Jewish holiday, multitudes of people, including Jews. Now, Understand, why did people think of Jesus, some people think of Jesus as this political uh, John Wayne, if you will. He's going to come and he's going to free us and he's going to destroy our Roman uh, enemies. It's because Palestine is controlled at this point by Roman Roman territory. Jerusalem is not its own. It is under Roman rule, and this is nothing new for the Jewish people. So you understand why there were people like Judas who thought, Jesus, you're supposed to come in, and, and you're the commando. You're going to come in, and you're, you are, you're going to take this back over so that the Jews are in power. You see, the Jewish people at this time never felt that they had been freed, in a sense. So they were awaiting this this person that would come and challenge the authorities, overthrow the kingdom to truly set them free. They awaited a potential political leader who could overthrow the Romans. Roman authority ruled throughout the world. Military presence was an everyday occurrence. You know, you and I do not travel our roads and our highways and see uh, the Marines at every intersection. Uh, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you do. That is normal for them. And if you understand the, the ways in which they live and the, the threat of terrorism, you would understand why they do that. Uh, but for us, we don't see the world in that, in that way. Now, here's, here's why we celebrate Jesus riding on a donkey. Here's the thing that you don't need to miss. In Jesus' day, The king, in times of war, rode a horse. The king, in times of peace, 
rode a donkey. And so Jesus is walking in as the Prince of Peace. He is coming as King. In fact, we even read, it sounds very familiar, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You've heard that before. When Jesus was born, the angel said, glory to God and peace on earth, glory in the highest. And yet we start and end Jesus' earthly life in the same way, using the same words. But in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, it was common for dignitaries to have parades. In fact, the palm branches were not just something that was used for Jesus. Palm branches were used to show victory after war. They would have parades. It would show honor. It was accompanied by big crowds. So uh, the, the dignitary would ride in on a war horse, surrounded by cheers, singing of songs, praise to whatever God that dignitary represented represented, especially as Romans, the procession would follow to that particular temple of the dignitary's God, and then the, the uh, dignitary would offer a, a sacrifice. So please don't miss this. Jesus is riding in as the king, not to sacrifice, but to be sacrificed. The crowds would wave palm branches whenever anyone special arrived, uh, it was very common for crowds to wave palms as public approval. Uh, you know, if you've ever been to a military parade uh, and, and, and they would hand out American flags and you would wave them, th think of it in that way. In their, in their world, it would be palm branches because palms symbolize victory. In fact, uh, most people don't know this, they were used to decorate tombs as a sign of a triumphant death. And then here comes Jesus. Jesus was not, definitely not a dignitary of his time. His entrance into Jerusalem was really different. It involved a cult, a king, a cloak, and ultimately the cross. Would the crowds take note of his simplicity? Would they recognize him as the savior for which they long awaited? Did they really know what was about to happen? Let's look at the cult. It is a prophecy fulfilled. Going back to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 10 or 9 through 11, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your captives free from the waterless pit. Now, going back to what my wife read, the cult had never been ridden before. No proven ability or accomplishment. Now you try jumping on a four-legged animal that's never been ridden before. You see what happens. It's not going to be the same. But let me remind you, the scriptures say that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I guarantee you that that donkey, that animal, knew exactly who he was parading into Jerusalem. If a donkey can be submissive, maybe we can too. 
You see, that's our job is to be the donkey. All our job is to take Jesus to the people. That's what we're here to do. Jesus selected a colt to ride into the city, and what was he doing? He was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, publicly announcing that he was the messianic king. Did the people know that Jesus came as this fulfillment? Maybe some of them did. Maybe some of them were just caught up in what was going on. Did they really understand why this was important? We have to think about that even in, of ourselves. Do we just get caught up on Sunday morning to come to church because that's what we always do? Or are we coming to worship? Are we coming to, if you will, lay our palm branches down, lay our, coat, our cloaks down uh, as, as homage and, and honor to this King of kings and Lord of lords? Let's look at him as king. Salvation comes. Hosanna. That's what that means. Save us. That's really what they were saying to the Lord. The crowds cheered from Psalm 118. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This was actually a popular psalm to sing at Passover uh, and in the tabernacle. This time, though, they replaced the words from Psalm 118. They replaced the words, the one, with king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This shows the declaration of their loyalty to Christ and not the Roman authority of the day. Please understand this too. Now you may be thinking, I didn't come for a history lesson, but really you did. Because if you don't know the history, you really don't understand how important this was then and how important it is now. Caesar was not the president. He was the God. That's how they solved Caesar. That's how they saw him was, you didn't go against Caesar. And so for Jesus to say, I am the king, he, he basically draws a line in the sand and says, there is no other king but me. Because they believed there was no other God but Caesar. So when you look at it from that perspective, you understand then what Jesus was saying. Jesus was finally, publicly, because you never see this throughout Scripture any other place, Many times he would say, don't, you know, don't honor me here. Don't tell anyone what I've done. But here, to fulfill prophecy, publicly, he receives the adoration as king. It's, you know, you think about it. If you walked into a, to a region and said, I'm king, knowing there's already a king, you know there's going to be trouble. You know there's going to be a problem. So understand then what, how, how dangerous this is. Because they're giving Jesus their loyalty, not the Roman authority. The psalm includes that one goes to the temple to offer sacrifice. And, so, and how ironic it is that this humble, gentle man, Jesus, comes in not to offer a sacrifice, but to be sacrificed. Again, we have to ask, did the crowds even know the significance of what they were doing? Or was it simply the hope of a political uprising? Maybe they actually thought our prayers have been answered. Yes, they have, but not in the way that maybe they thought. And so you have this king, the real king, not Caesar, not Pontius Pilate, but the king of kings and lord of lords riding on a donkey. 
You see, the Lord, God never does anything the way we would expect. We see, even today, when we see our national leaders and other leaders around the world, uh, we see fancy limousines, parades, and, and yet here comes the, 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 the creator of the universe riding on this, this, this beast of burden. And yet we also see the cloak. This is the crowd's response. In John chapter 12, verse 13, it says, They wave palms of victory with shouts of Hosanna, meaning save us or give us salvation. They cried out in hope of a rescuer. They cried out for freedom and liberation. Again, in their world, they were thinking more from a physical standpoint. Liberate us from Rome. I want to tell you, you could be locked up in a prison, but if you know Christ, you're free. There are people today, though, who walk around free, and yet they are slaves to sin. Jesus wants to free us from the, 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 most, uh, the worst of penalty, and that is the, the uh, penalty of sin. The disciples were the first to throw down their cloaks. You'll see down here on the, on the, on the uh, ground here, the, sim, uh, the sim, symbolism of cloaks and the, the palm branches. A cloak is simply an outer coat to offer protection from the elements. That's what many of them, that's all they had. They had already given up. The disciples already gave up their homes, their possessions to follow Christ. Here's something that we should think about. What, what have we given up to follow the Lord? Have we given up? Have we thrown down our cloaks, so to speak? I'm not saying you have to go out and be, become homeless to worship God, but it does cost something. It has to cost something. Anytime that you claim someone as Lord, you become their servant, it, it costs Others followed their actions in acceptance and adoration. Again, some people here were probably just following what everybody else did. Was this for a king or was this for Christ as king? Did the crowds even know who they were honoring? Friends, there's times that even in a worship service, people get called up and they don't even know what they're doing anymore. When we, get, when we come to worship, it can't just be all emotion. Emotion isn't bad, but emotion should be uh, an outpouring of what's on the inside of us. We have, we've had the, 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 the coal, the cult, the king, the cloak, and now we'll look at the future, the cross. In Jesus' day, people did not adore a cross. Now, we do, there's one behind me, beautiful cross. You won't enter a Salvation Army Corps that doesn't have a cross on, on the, in the back. But here, understand this. In, in, in Roman times, that would be like us having an electric chair as a necklace. You wouldn't do that. It was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of not just death, but of execution. And yet we place them in every one of our buildings and, and many times in our homes, uh, not because we have a death wish, but because it's symbolic of us of the, the death that Jesus paid for us. We see them on monuments. We see them in military uh, 
cemeteries, and others. Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing he would be the sacrifice. In fact, uh, in our responsive reading, we read that he resolutely set his face to Jerusalem. That doesn't just mean, hey, I'm planning on going to this city. It means that he understood his life would end here. Prophecy being fulfilled. This is what, in other words, this is what Jesus was saying. This is what I was born to do. This is what it's come down to. He would be the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. Upon his arrival, the crowd shouted, Hosanna, give salvation. But yet they didn't know what that meant. They were seeking a different kind of king. They wanted a political king. They wanted an uprising. Yet several days later, they said, crucify him. And many of them were also caught up in the crowd. You see, a journey to the cross is different than adoration of the cross. The cross alone, just like the one behind me, is simply a symbol. Now, in, as, I, as I said, in Jesus' day, under Roman rule, crosses were for torture and execution. They represented the punishment of the Roman Empire. If the Romans were good at anything, they knew how to kill people and make it hurt. Nobody adored the cross. They feared it. In fact, uh, when Jesus was a little boy, uh, there was an uprising in a city and the Romans crucified so many people that they just put crosses down the highway. So when you went down that highway, you, you were seeing you don't mess with Rome. You don't go against Caesar. Yet today, as I've mentioned before, we wear them on necklaces, on, on rings, they're in many buildings, and uh, you know, almost every steeple has a cross. Because for us, it symbolizes faith. The cross becomes different only when salvation is hung on it. Nobody adores a cross alone. They adore the Christ who died on it. We don't worship this piece of wood. But it is a symbol of the one who died for you. It is a symbol of what Jesus went through for you and me. Without Christ, all it is is two wooden beams nailed together. It would mean nothing. To adore the cross is to accept it for the decision made. This adoration is for the Savior who fulfilled the prophecies, who humbled himself before the world, who knew what he was doing and for whom he was an atonement. You know, many, many people incorrectly have said that the Romans killed Jesus. Now, yes, during that time, they did crucify him. But don't forget what Jesus said. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I give my life. It was, he, but he understood those, those Romans, those centurions, uh, the, the high priest... All of them were just used. They were just instruments of God. Don't ever think that because people are against you, God can't use that. Those people that were against Jesus, that, that wanted to kill him, that none of them were moving outside of God's sovereignty. So friends, do we know what today is really about? We shout Hosanna. We've literally waved our palm branches. We celebrate the beginning of, 
of the most important week in the Christian calendar. But when we shout Hosanna, do we know what we're saying? Do we realize that we're asking God to save us? Hosanna means give salvation or save me. Do we even know what we're being saved from? Salvation from what? Do you and I recognize our own sin? Or do we look at the satisfaction in the world and we rely on its false securities and think, I don't need saving from anything? Do we truly understand what we're seeking salvation from? And are we willing to lay down those things, those, those, those cloaks in our life, those, those palm branches? Are we willing to lay down those things in order to submit to the one who brings salvation? We call him Lord and King. People don't use that terminology in today's world. But it's saying that we're the servants. That we're here to serve. Many times we get caught up in New Testament language like when Paul says, I am a slave. And people say, oh, that's not the, that's not the word you should use. But you've got to understand their time. To, to be a servant to the king was a high honor. And friends, if we're to serve the king, that is the greatest honor you and I can have. Jesus, when he comes back or when you go to be with him, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to call you soldier. He's not going to call you major, captain, whatever you did in life. He's going to say servant because he is the Lord. So we are here to serve him. And in serving him, we lay down those things in our life that, that maybe we cling to. You know, when we sing the song, The Old Rugged Cross, it mentions us laying down our crowns. Laying down those things. Do we truly see Christ as ruler of our heart? You see, before God can sit on the throne of our heart, He has to take us off because we're sitting there. We want it our way. We want it to be done the way I want. Do you know Christ this morning as the atonement for your sin? We talked about that last week, what that word means to atone, to cover. We talked about the mercy seat and why we call it that. Because Jesus' blood is the covering of our sin. Jesus, who hung upon a cross in exchange for the sin of humankind, enters this Sunday for you and me. He can bring you out of your captivity. He can give you true freedom. True freedom is not to do as you would like. It's to do as you ought. When you are truly free, you are free to serve. He wants to release you from what enslaves you. For many of those people in the crowd, that first Palm Sunday, it was just another day. They got caught up in something. Don't let it be like that today for you. Make sure that this morning, as you were waving your palm branches, that maybe in your heart you, you lay your cloak down and you allow the king to ride in into your heart and take his place as king and lord. Evangeline, if you'll come and play uh, a song that we've, I've been using this Lenten season, Lest I Forget Gethsemane.
lest I forget. Friends, don't forget. This week, why do we focus? Why does the church all around the world focus on all of these things that Jesus did? So we don't forget. So we are reminded of the price that Jesus paid for our sin. I've said it over and over. Jesus didn't just die for our sin. The scriptures say he became sin. He took on every evil thought, word, and deed that you could ever imagine. Or maybe those that you can't even imagine. And the Bible says it pleased his father. Because when he died for you and I, it was fulfilled. To tell us die, Jesus said, it's finished. When he came in on Palm Sunday, he came in there as king, but he came as a sacrificial king. Not to offer a sacrifice, but to be the sacrifice. As the song is being played, I would invite you to come and to pray and maybe lay your palm branches down at the mercy seat in a symbolic means of saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you what you are. You are Lord. And I'm laying down what I have. Do that this morning.